trade, not aid. That's what the farmers have been saying to you and myself, the Trump administration. And yet today, the administration announced a $12 billion bailout for the farmers due to this trade war. I thought a while ago, President Trump said that trade wars are easy to win. More on that in just a moment. We start with this. President Trump tweeting out this morning, which I don't agree with this first line. He says, tariffs are the greatest. What? Either a country which has treated the United States unfairly and trade negotiates a fair deal or it gets hit with tariff. It's as simple as that. And everybody's talking. Remember, we are the quote-unquote piggy bank that's being robbed. All will be great. Tariffs are the greatest since when? And I remember, let me remind you, that's basically a tax on you and me, the average Joe and Jane. So then President Trump, he went down to the VFW headquarters in Missouri. He spoke there. Uh, let me remind you, Claire McCaskill up for a close re-election Senate bid there. So President Trump said this today directly to the farmers. Making tremendous progress. They're all coming. They don't want to have those tariffs put on them. They're all coming to see us. And the farmers will be the biggest beneficiary. Watch. We're opening up markets. You watch what's going to happen. Just be a little patient. Just be a little patient. We're opening up markets. That, that's almost verbatim what President Trump said to me when I interviewed him here at his Fargo mega rally that took place, uh, gosh, just about a month ago. That was June 27th. Um, then, uh, also earlier today, as I just mentioned, it was released, the big aid package for our farmers. Secretary Purdue and the Trump administration said, okay, we're going to be sending out, if we can bring up this graphic, please, $12 billion in aid for farmers that are hurt by Trump's trade war. I personally uh, not a fan of this kind of aid. I'll get to that in just a moment. I'll tell you what some of the Republican senators and Democrat senators are saying about it as well. And I think many people are going to say, hey, this is good politics. They may not like the policy, but it is good politics to obviously help shore up the farmers that are big supporters of President Trump. Now, the person that's going to help implement this program is our Ag Secretary, Sonny Perdue. Our D.C. Bureau caught up with him earlier today. Here's some of what he had to say. Secretary, up to $12 billion moving forward in aid. How will you all be selecting which producers to provide relief to? Well, it'll be based on their production and based on what trade disruption damage they've experienced. This is President Trump's promise kept for producers. He was not going to allow them to bear the brunt of these illegal trade retaliatory efforts of other countries. And he's called their hand. He's got their attention. And they're trying to bully the president into changing by political pressure of uh, targeting uh, our great producers in this country and this is his answer to that we, we want to have trade not aid there's not a farmer in this country that does not have a good crop at a fair price rather than a government check but when they can't get that a fair price because of the illegal tariffs uh, this is president trump's way in saying we're not going to let these countries bully you or me into uh, into caving in and how quickly will these funds be moving forward? Good question. Uh, we expect to roll out this program at the end of August, uh, eligible for farmers really immediately after Labor Day to come in and sign up uh, for this program. Uh, the Title I commodities, which are really the grains, soybeans and corn and wheat and uh, 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 sorghum and cotton, those kind of programs will actually get uh, a direct payment. Dairy and hogs will get a, some, a payment as well as purchases off of the uh, commodities that would help to reduce the overflow of supply. The, other so the fact is these are temporary measures 
Every farmer as well as the president would like a good trade deal, and that's what we're hoping for. That's what I think we will achieve. But in the meantime, uh, these farmers cannot pay their bills with a American patriotism. They've got to have some help to, to continue on, and that's what this is. He's used that line a few times now. Farmers cannot pay their bills with American patriotism. This is a one-time stopgap. At least that's how it's being sold as of right now. Still some Republican senators, Democrats as well, not happy about this bailout program. You would think that Democrat senators would be somewhat happy about it because it's more government. But Republican senator out of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, said, quote, this is like a Soviet-type economy situation here, what they're doing to subsidize uh, industry. Senator Lisa Murkowski is concerned because she's like, hey, where does it stop? We're going to take care of farmers now. Next, it might even be more Wall Street. Who knows whether industries are going to have to get hurt by these tariffs and then that the American taxpayer, you and I, are going to have to subsidize. Senator Ben Sass out of Nebraska and other great ag states said, hey, American farmers, they don't want to be paid to lose. They want to win by feeding the world. Here's what North Dakota U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp tweeted out earlier today. She said, with today's announcement, the administration is borrowing $12 billion from you and I, the taxpayers, which has given the enormous price tag, still barely compensates for the losses to farmers and ranchers, as well as lost markets that will be difficult to just bring back as they took years to create. Important to note that tariffs are basically a tax on the end consumer, you and I. That's what I've been asking the question is, hey, look, right now, when there's no tariffs on aluminum, our beer is cheap. When there's no tariffs on car, our cars are cheaper. So why should you at home care if there's a 500 or $800 billion trade deficit? I don't know. But now we're going to use more taxpayer money to bail out our farmers, which, look, prices are low. They need some help. But I'm curious. I want to hear your point of view on this. How do you feel about this $12 billion bailout for our farmers. Please let me know your point of view. All right, back, back in June, Valley News Live did a poll and we found that the second most important thing, the second most important thing to you in this upcoming election is health care. That was just behind the economy and jobs. And recently, former North Dakota Congressman Earl Palmeroy, he's been sounding the alarm because of a lawsuit that North Dakota Attorney General Wayne Stengem joined with 19 other states that could potentially impact people's health insurance if they have a pre-existing condition. So earlier today, I sat down with Congressman Pomeroy and we talked about this lawsuit, your health care, and much, much more. Congressman Pomeroy, welcome to Point of View. Great to have you with us, sir. I know you've been talking recently about a new report that you released with a group called the Codens for Health, called the North Dakota Rural Health Report. For the people watching tonight, what would you say is the single most important thing they should know or take out of this report? Well, under federal law, we've got a lot of North Dakotans that have been able to obtain health insurance, didn't have it before. In fact, if you add up the various components of that federal law, about 47,000 North Dakotans now have coverage. We're very pleased about that. There's a lawsuit, however, being launched by the Attorney General that would say, oh, this is unconstitutional, and 47,000 North Dakotans lose their health care. We just think that's wrong. We think North Dakota taxpayer dollars shouldn't be shouldn't be used in a lawsuit of that of that kind and we'll get to maybe the, the legal piece of this in a moment but i really want to focus on the health care because it's such a prominent issue for north dakotans and people and i think the one thing that i would ask yeah. if we can is i think what you're referring to with the forty-seven thousand people is people with pre-existing conditions and i just wish that we could change the conversation so it was a little bit more in my opinion you may disagree with this but 
but honest from the standpoint that I can't go buy car insurance after I crash my car. And I want to be clear. I want to make sure that people with pre-existing conditions have some kind of program. Maybe it's Chan. For all I know, you probably created Chan, the Comprehensive uh, Health Association of North Dakota, but some kind of program for them. But I just, I think we're mislabeling if we call it insurance because it's like buying car insurance after an accident. Can you agree with that or do you disagree? Well, I, I bet you and I could agree. Insurance is spreading the risk. So it's getting people, uh, everyone, a chance to not carry their own health conditions, but to spread it across a, a larger group of insured. So I think of it very much as insurance. I was on the legislative committee that brought the CHANS program forward and was in the legislature when we passed it. It was a good program. It was a place where people had had health conditions and couldn't get coverage elsewhere could go, but it had a really tough problem. It was expensive as the Dickens. We never got, while I was insurance commissioner, more than 1,500 North Dakotans in that program. Uh, now, of the 47,000 we have covered under this new federal law, we're not talking about all of those on the uh, pre-existing health condition situation, but a good number of them uh, have that situation. Some other number of them didn't have the money to afford coverage before, and now they have some help with the premium. So that's how you get that number out there. Uh, also, about the, the folks that, like me have a, young adult children in their 20s, they can be covered under the family policy up to 26. That, that, all of those things would go if this lawsuit was successful really a big step backward in my opinion. But I think that's where people are concerned. And I, and I guess I would say, hey, if, if Obamacare was working, I think people would have a much different perception of it. And that, that is obviously in the eye of the beholder. But I will give you this example, sir. This is from an article from the uh, forum back in March of 2017. So I don't, I don't think we can put this on Trump's table yet. But I do want to share with you a, a quote in the headline. It says, farmers number one new worry. And they're referring to health care, sir. And one of the pieces in there says, in the past five years alone, so again, before Trump, monthly premiums have du doubled and annual deductibles have tripled or quadrupled many farmers report. And I think that's the issue. If, it, if this program is working, it would be a different conversation, but it's hard to say that it's working when you see those kind of numbers for our farmers. Well, you know, I th things just aren't so simple as to say it works or it doesn't work. The reality is it, it works very well for 47,000 North Dakotans covered under various facets of this law. But there are others that have found that th they're not of an income level to be subsidized and those premiums have spiked. Uh, and I think that's very unfortunate. The, the way you address a problem, however, is you focus on the problem. You don't rip up the thing, including taking out the good parts, the coverage that 47,000 North Dakotans have, because the premiums have piked, spiked. Let's, let's talk about premiums. Let's, let's do more to address those issues. Reinsurance has been done in Minnesota and up this upcoming year. But it looks like the premiums in the exchanges will actually go down in Minnesota. They've done some things, and there are some things North Dakota could do. But ripping up the law uh, because the attorney general files a lawsuit, that's a terrible idea. But I think this is the thing. It seems like actuarially this thing just collapses underneath its own weight, especially without the individual mandate. When you look at it, you're saying, hey, Chris, let's mm -hmm. spread the costs out. Yes, we're going to insure people with pre-existing conditions, and yet... Uh, we know that without the individual mandate, even with it, people were saying, you know what, I'll take the, I'm going to call it a penalty, Justice Roberts called it a tax, but I'll take the penalty rather than paying for this expensive health insurance, and then you don't have the young people signing up to help subsidize the, old, the older people, and it really is, seems to me to be a wealth redistribution instrument. Where am I wrong on that? 
Well, first of all, I, I think if you got a health insurance program, it needs to meet the needs of all folks, the real healthy ones and, the, and those with health conditions as well. And if you, you've got a health condition that only works for those who don't need the health insurance, well, you don't have much of a program, in my opinion. So I don't look at it as wealth distribution at all. I look at it risk distribution. We, I like to think of North Dakota as a community. I think Governor Dalrymple thought of us as a community when he, along with bipartisan majorities in the House and the Senate, uh, expanded that Medicaid program. And now we have 20,000 North Dakotans covered under just that part of the law. Uh, that was a bipartisan action led by a Republican governor. And then we got uh, Attorney General Stenstrom is filing this lawsuit to take that away also. I just think it's, you know, you, you legislatively fight these things out. Washington has, as you know so well, had a dickens of a brawl last summer trying to on the repeal and replace business. In the end, it looked like 22 million people were going to lose their coverage nationwide, and Congress chose not to take that step. Well, now here you got a raft of uh, attorney generals, including ours, filing lawsuits to take it away. Now you win fair and square on the legislative floor or not at all. And so I think North Dakota ought to withdraw from this lawsuit. But, I'd call on sir, the Attorney General today to withdraw from that lawsuit. At least uh, at least step forward to try and explain why he's doing this. They've been <laughs> radio silent while they've tried this stealth litigation to take this coverage away. You know what? We try to be as fair as we can on the show. That's a very fair assessment, sir. And also, to be fair, you say, hey, Chris, they need to do this legislatively. And they would say, we did. We took out the individual mandate via legislation and if you look at taking out the individual mandate what the attorney general says hey this law is not severable from the individual mandate as well as four supreme court justices said the same thing so because of that it ends up collapsing underneath its own weight yes well i i, I hate to bore your viewers with <laughs> with legalese but the doctrine of severability really is when when, when the courts strike down one part uh, then they wonder, well, can the rest of it stand? It, here you had a different situation. The legislature struck down one part, and they left the rest of it. Now, there's nothing unconstitutional, in my view, about telling insurance companies, hey, you can't stop people from getting coverage because of their health conditions. They have a right to coverage. Uh, that's a perfectly constitutional legislative decision, and that's the part these attorney generals wait, want wait, to take wait, away. Wait, wait, wait. Where in the I think you and I would agree that North Dakotans can manage our health care much better than D.C. bureaucrats. Can, we, can you and I both agree on that? Well, I like the idea of, well, I like the idea of states having an awful lot to do about, about shaping their own health delivery system and reimbursement system. I like that. So would you support uh, that, then a block grant of Medicaid? That bill that was proposed that you referenced, uh, well, not unless it's uh, adjusts to upcoming medical inflation. The, the, the dirty little secret about block grant, Chris, is they give you the money now, and that's it, even though medical costs continue to skyrocket. Does the federal budget keep making more money to states available? No. So you've got a state like North Dakota with an aging population, many of whom are going to hit nursing home within the next 20 years. If the federal government flatlines what it's doing to help with the Medicaid program, North Dakota can't keep up with all those expenses. What will happen? How will we pay for the care our seniors need? And that's why I've had real troubles with the proposals that have been under discussion. They, they don't help states as the citizens age. And so I, I'd love to have you back, sir, because there's so much for us to discuss. I want to wrap up with this. I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the last 
lone North Dakota congressman to be a conferee on the Farm Bill Conference Committee. My question for you is now, Congressman Kramer, is how big of a deal, how important is it to have our lone congressman to have a seat at the table as a conferee to have a final say in this final version of the Farm Bill? Well, the proof's in the pudding. I was very pleased to be on one side, and Senator Conrad was on the other side. And so we had two conferees at the table. We came up with an extremely solid farm bill in 2008, as your rural viewers will remember. Now, the question here is, the House has a poison pill, uh, and that's how they fouled up the food stamp program. Uh, they're going to have to reject what the House did in order to get a bill passed, because the Senate will never take it. So the, the burden of proof here is on the congressman. Can he get the House poison pill removed so we can get a farm bill in place for our farmers? Uh, that would be a very important step. I'm, I'm sorry the bill came out of the House like it did. In my opinion, it shattered uh, decades of bipartisan cooperation in the House. The House bill was a mistake. I hope they fix the mistake. Congressman Pomeroy, Pomeroy always great to have you with us, sir. First time. We appreciate it. Look forward to having you back. And thank you for thank the time. Thank you very much, Chris.